Uh, welcome to the latest podcast of View from the Loch. Uh, we've just finished uh, the Open at uh, Royal Liverpool, uh, otherwise known as Hoylake. And our guest is going to help me dissect uh, what has gone on in the last uh, four days, as well as look to the future uh, and, and some topics of golf that have also sprung up, uh, in particular, over the last few days. My guest is from the United States, uh, is the owner of Golf Newsnet, uh, also GNN Radio, which is a 24-7 uh, golf radio station based in Washington, and uh, has the distinction of choosing the winner of the Open three years in a row, uh, which is some achievement. Uh, Ryan Ballingy, welcome to the show. So thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Brian Harmon, how did you choose Brian? What did you? Th how did you think he was going to win the Open? Well, I looked at his current form. We do we do modeling each week uh, for our members of Golf News Net, and we talk a little bit about it on a, a podcast we started this year called The Press. And Brian had been playing great his last three times out. Played great at the Scottish Open. Played great at the Travelers, which is a place he likes. Uh, a place he's played pretty well over the years. And just seemed like a guy in good form that flew under the radar. He came out in our model 18th for the week. And given the players that were around him in the model, he was by far the longest shot that was in the top 20. And so it seemed pretty obvious to bet that kind of value. Uh, the last three years, we, we've been fortunate, as you mentioned, to have the, the winner. And each of those three years, it seemed like a player that was in good form, but maybe had been slightly overlooked for whatever reason. Maybe they hadn't won a major yet. Maybe they had a, a lag in their game. In Colin Morikawa's case, putting's always kind of been his struggle. Uh, for Brian Harmon, it's distance. He, he doesn't hit the ball especially far. So I, I think people tend to overlook him despite being in the top 25 in the world. And so when you kind of find a value like that, you almost kind of have to bet it, assuming that it's not going to work out, but that if it does, the data told you the right story. I mean, he, he's 144th on the PGA Tour for driving distance at an average of 293 yards, uh, which is 32 short of Rory. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he, he putted 59 putts out of 60 from inside 10 feet, uh, which is an incredible stat. And only got into two bunker sand traps, bunkers uh, in Hoylake, which, of course, is the key. Uh, as well, um, when you combine all that together, you know, it's a pretty impressive display. It's kind of hard to be the guy who hits a lot of fairways and doesn't miss with the putter when it matters the most. I mean, his lag putting was incredible uh, throughout the course of the week as well. Made a couple of 50-plus foot putts over the course of the week. And I think that the way the golf course set up turned out to work very much in his favor because a lot of the holes required longer than average approach shots if you wanted to stay safe. And so for Brian Harvin, for a guy who's 32 yards shorter than Rory McIlroy, hitting driver to that area was exactly what he does every week on the PGA Tour. So it wasn't that big of a change for him to go from playing what he does, name your course on the PGA Tour, to this major championship test. And he played very well from tee to green, gained strokes on the field tee to green, did but really did his damage putting. And he said he, he figured out something in his stroke in recent weeks to kind of feel like he was hitting a little bit of a hook stroke. 
and it turned out it was squaring the face perfectly. And when you gain 11 strokes putting, a, a lot of people assume you're going to fall back eventually. They assume you're going to come back to the mean a little bit, but he never did. And for, for 72 holes was unstoppable with the putter in hand. And that that's going to win you a lot of golf tournaments. If you can keep that up for four straight rounds. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at, this is a guy that's won $30 million on tour. You're right. He's been around the sort of leaderboard of many a tournament now for, for a period of time. And he definitely, as you say, was entering um, the tournament uh, in good form. So all of a sudden, Brian Harmon uh, at five foot seven, one of the smallest uh, on tour, um, has a powerhouse performance, really blew away the opposition completely. Uh, I, I was there for the Sunday, and I think there was about half an hour where people got excited. Um, you know, it was palpable. The crowds, the weather was poor on the Sunday, but the crowds wanted something to latch on to, and he just powered his way through all the distractions we're going to talk about some of them in a second uh, and and just kept going and when he when he boogied and dropped two shots as he did on saturday he bounced straight back um and it was a dominant performance that actually he didn't get much credit for uh, in the press over here and um, there was almost a sort of tad disappointment uh, but I think that was more on the back of an amazing Scottish Open, which was so exciting, straight into the Open, which is hype beyond belief. And we've got a winner that many were saying, done deal Saturday night. Um, do you think that's disappointing, Ryan? Or do you think it's inevitable, uh, that sort of turnoff, that people think, yeah, listen, it's not nothing's, nothing's what's happening on Sunday. It's not really that exciting. And uh, I'm a bit bored by it. I think Tiger Woods made dominance interesting, but not many other people in the history of golf have. And the tournament was effectively over Friday afternoon. I mean, he got to 10 under. It became very apparent. Not many people were going to threaten him through Friday. And then after he got the two bogeys back on Saturday with Tommy Fleetwood in the final group, it seemed like the, the route was on. The, the, he wasn't going to slip back even if he bogeyed a couple holes, the resiliency was pretty impressive. And I, I understand why people don't like watching blowouts. Blowouts are kind of hard in golf because they take a long time to finish. So if you know someone's going to win for 10 straight hours, you've got to sit through all of it and hope something interesting happens or otherwise the inevitable happens. And I understand why people don't like that or don't, or don't find that particularly compelling. But on the other hand, it's really compelling because it doesn't happen often. There's not that many occurrences in major championship mm. history where someone's won by a half dozen strokes or more. And just because it happens to be a fairly diminutive sized man who has two PGA tour wins doing it instead of name your top five player, that, that doesn't make it any less compelling or interesting to me that dominance I think is really uh, a special thing and should be cherished. Even if it's not particularly interesting from minute to minute. Yeah, I mean, some of the uh, the, the comments um, are interesting from the press, which which we'll dive into a bit. Uh, but uh, I have to say that you know uh, the the bars were packed because the weather was poor, so a lot of people uh, gravitated in. And when it looked as if Brian had hit a, a poor shot, <laughs> the cheers 
were palpable. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, God, the poor guy. But of course, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't worry him too much. But I was actually listening to the radio on uh, Radio 5 Live on the Saturday driving down. And Ram had finished. Uh, and I got into the car and it was about a three and a half hour journey. And honestly, it was comical, Ryan, the, the commentary. Absolutely nothing was happening. Rory was missing putt after putt. Harmon was just doing his thing uh, and uh, playing well. Uh, Ram was the story, but he had finished. And they were running out of things to say. And so they started to concentrate on one of the um, chaps on the course that was doing, you know, the, the reporting, it was his 50th birthday. So they started to concentrate on his 50th birthday, much to his chagrin. He, he, he actually <laughs> didn't want his 50th birthday to be mentioned. And there was some Prosecco, you know, um, tent somewhere. Uh, and they were egging him on to go in and get Prosecco. Uh, and then they started to talk about, you know, the, the sort of surrounding area. And they literally were running out of things to say. And it was an incredible experience of listening to uh, radio of live sport when they just, it was a dud news day. Nothing was happening. And uh, it was it was hilarious. And the... the the unease amongst the reporters, you know, um, was 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 there and tangible. Uh, and, you know, it was things like, and now we go over to the 13th um, where Brian will, and, and Brian would say, here I am on the 13th. <laughs> and it was like, you know, <laughs> it was just, it was, just like, it was out of control. It was out of control boredom. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, it was uh, it, it was it was very very funny, Ryan, uh, in in a particular way. But back to back to Harmon. I mean, one of the comments that he mentioned, and we're going to talk about the crowd, which were pretty unruly, I have to say, for uh, uh, an an open crowd. You know, someone shouted at him, and he heard it. Uh, you haven't the stones for this, and he said that comment out of all the comments that he heard, um, most he couldn't understand, uh, sort of scouse humour maybe. Um, but, you know, he said that was the comment that drove him on. So somebody shouting that at him, he just got the head down and thought, right, I'll show you. So what's your view in the, on the crowds from a US point of view? Something you've exported, possibly. Uh, but what was your, your view in the crowds at, at Hoylake? Yeah, for better or for worse, we have uh, we have popularized that that concept of being boisterous and saying things you probably shouldn't or you wouldn't if you had to look someone in the eye and tell it to them. Um, but I, I was okay with it. I mean, I, I understand why people were probably a little upset at Brian Harmon because they were pulling for Tommy Fleetwood so vociferously and completely understand that being a, a localish mm. guy and that that makes total sense to me. Um, uh, and I think Brian Harmon kind of expected some of that knowing who he was playing with on Saturday in particular. And then on Sunday, knowing people don't like blowouts. I mean, he's he's played enough golf tournaments to know that. And like you said before, Brian has a very interesting way of turning any kind of negative fodder into positive reinforcement, motivation, 
what have you. And he's done it throughout his entire career. I mean, he's very much learned how to develop a chip on his shoulder when someone tells him he can't do something or he's not powerful enough or too short or whatever it is. And and that's gone from his junior golf days all the way till now at almost age 37, winning a major championship. And when he said that in the news conference, explained the comment and then followed that up with that helped. I, I think that there aren't that many people who have never won a major who would have taken that form of commentary and turned it into a net positive and made himself stronger because of it. I think you could have named a whole lot of golfers who'd have been in that situation who would have been deflated or upset or let it linger. And Brian Harmon is just not one of those people. He does not care what you think of him. And in fact, if you think negatively of him, he'll stick it right in your eye. And uh, I, I have to admire that. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about the Ryder Cup, but he's, I mean, sounds perfect for the Ryder Cup, that sort of attitude. Uh, I mean, the things about Harmon, the press conference was quite funny. Um, you know, he got asked the color orange of his new tractor he bought recently and what was his view uh, and how deadly was he using a crossbow? <laughs> uh, because he's he, he's able, you know, he, he, <laughs> He skinned the deer when he was eight years of age. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think there was this genuine, okay, who is this guy? What does he do yeah. and what's he about? And then all of a sudden, as you say, he fronts it out because, you know, there's pictures circulating, I think, of him with some big game trophy, uh, whatever it was. Uh, and some people are sensitive towards that uh, in the UK uh, in particular. Uh, but, you know, he just filled the claret jug up with several pints of Guinnesses, drank them, and he didn't have a care in the world. And why should he? So all of a sudden they were putting a, a kind of this personality to him, Ryan. Yeah, I, I think based on the lines of questioning I saw when he was in the the media center, I don't think they were trying to paint him a certain way, but they, they just didn't understand who he was. I mean, there aren't frankly many country boys who win major championships and there aren't many yeah. like Brian Harmon. Most of them are country club kids in this country that grew up with a lot of money and they, they, they are kind of used to a certain way of behaving in, in golf circles. And Brian Harmon is not that kind of guy. I mean, he, he likes college football. He likes to hunt. He kind of likes to be left alone sometimes. Um, he, he's just not kind of your standard issue American professional golfer. And I, I, I think that kind of weirded out some of the folks uh, who were doing the questioning. And, yeah, there's probably a sensitivity to the, the hunting piece of his set of hobbies. I'm not personally a hunter. Uh, but many people in my family do. So, I mean, I kind of, it is what it is. I mean, uh, it's it's a hobby for some and not for others. But it seemed like a strange fascination with it, uh, that part in particular. And that's just a cultural thing, I assume. But uh, for him, he's he's got no problem taking the claret jug, putting it in a tree stand, and going blasting a couple of deer when he gets it home. So uh, I, I assume he's going to have himself a, a grand old time this year as the, the – the champion golfer of the year. He's probably going to take the Claret Jug some places it hasn't been uh, in a long time, if ever. And he's not going to give a darn what anyone thinks about what he's done or what he's going to do in the next year. And I, I, again, I admire that. It's really hard to be that kind of person, have that kind of 
worldview and stick with it, especially in the spotlight in which he sits and will sit for the rest of his life now. And uh, I, I hope it I hope it continues. I hope it doesn't change him. Yeah, I mean, anybody that knows Liverpool, there's plenty of wildlife running about Liverpool on a Friday and Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, okay, so a um, few things about Harmon. Uh, golf is the only thing he does left-handed. I mean, wow, okay. He always uses a quarter to mark a ball. Uh, his family are world-class scuba divers. Uh, and in 2015, he uh, achieved two aces on the same round in the PGA. So he's only the third ever person to do that. Uh, one Wells Fargo 2017, the 28-feet putt on the 18th to beat Bubba and Victor Perez. And, you know, if you saw his putting, you know, he looked well capable of doing something like that. Uh, and he's ranked first PGA Tour for putting inside six feet. Uh, you know, these are things that, uh, that, that are all sort of coming together. The other thing that, that drew much comment was what was called a waggle. So he kind of waggles his ass uh, as he gets in line. And there's, there's an average of 12 waggles when driving or shaking the ball. Uh, and uh, that was another thing that's been picked up on as well. So fair play to Brian Harmon, Ryan. You know, he's now a major winner and sounds as if he's a bit of a homeboy and that's maybe a good thing. Yeah, I think he's going to surround himself for a while with the people that he, he loves and, and whether that's professionally or personally. And he's going to get to enjoy some of the, the fruits of being in the top 10 in the world. Uh, he's also going to have to deal with some of the headaches of it. It, it. Life is a little bit different when you're a major winner. Being a top 10 player, you're going to play in a Ryder Cup, which I'm sure he's dreamed of, played the Walker Cup twice, youngest player to ever make the Walker yeah. Cup at the time that he was appointed to that team. So, I mean, he's a, he's a game match player, loves match play, legendary stories of him in college, uh, beating like Ricky Fowler, for example, and making Fowler cry uh, that he stole you know a big win away from the yeah. NCAAs. So, I mean, I can't wait for that for him. I'm, I'm so excited for that for him. But I, I don't think being a major champion is going to change who he is. He's still gonna, he's still Brian Harmon. He's still going to be the same guy that plays golf the same way. He's at 37 and a guy who's very comfortable in his skin. He's not changing. So nothing's – this is who he is, and this is who he's going to be. And if that means someday he'll win another major, awesome. And if he doesn't – He's he's put a capstone on a, a wonderful career. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and and you know, well played to uh, everybody. You know, the course was in terrific condition uh, as well, and uh, I think that uh, the weather generally generally was okay, just really poor the last day. But there was something else uh, that that happened, which was I don't know amusing. I find it relatively amusing. But both Scotty Scheffler and Max Homer said the same thing. It's the first time this has happened to them at a tournament. Uh, and as they could hear the commentary. They actually could hear uh, somewhere around the golf course. I'm assuming it was the BBC commentary. So uh, in home, Max Homer's case, he was standing over the ball and he heard the commentator said, I think that's too much club. <laughs> and uh, he said he should have walked back. <laughs> 
and, uh, and, and readdress the ball or change the club. He said it literally did put him off and he didn't deal with it very well. And Scotty Scheffler was in the same situation uh, whereby he could hear his name uh, in the commentary. And he said, you know, I, I normally I can shut stuff out if it's, uh, you know, music or just general crowd noise. He said, but it was so clear they were talking about me that he, he actually, it was over a putt, I think, uh, he actually stood back and waited until there was silence from the commentator and then he could go and address the ball again. So a, a couple of um, odd instances that you always get uh, around these, these sort of events. Okay, we alluded to the Ryder Cup. I know there's a Soheim Cup as well, Ryan, uh, you know, coming up. But the Ryder Cup, this is Harmon's now in the team. I, I, that's confirmed, I, I, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's anyone who can, can so knock him out at this the, point. So. Yeah, yeah. So Ryder Cup team US, Scotty Scheffler. Uh, we've got um, Clark, Harmon, Brooks, Kepka. Shoffley, Cantley, uh, Patrick. So the Americans have 12 uh, from the top 19 in the world that they can choose from. Um, it's looking, but then we go down the European team and it's also pretty strong. But uh, what do you think, who do you think will get into the US team outside of who I've just mentioned? I think that's the question for the next few weeks. I mean, Justin Thomas is probably the biggest question mark for the American side. He's been particularly bad this year, yeah. but he also plays really well in these team matches. So is there an assumption that if he finds some form in the next three to five weeks, he'll make the team? I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I think he'd have to play pretty spectacularly to earn that, that captain's pick at this point. I would love to see Denny McCarthy make the team. He he plays out of our club here in the area, has really come on this year, has played very well, gotten close to a couple of different wins, lost in a playoff at Memorial. Uh, he can he would be a great match player. Uh, I think I would love to see him. The thing I, I, I'm very interested in, because there's going to be probably four to six players on the American team that weren't on the 2021 team that were – Law, you know, the most dominant American team ever in terms of points. And I think there was this assumption that that team at that moment was going to be about the same for three, five, seven years. And we're probably going to see a turnover of one third to one half from one year to the next or one session to the next. That's pretty incredible to me. But then, like you mentioned, the European side, I thought, has I think it's really come together very well. A lot of the guys that you might expect mm. are obviously a part of it, but they're mostly playing well at this point. Uh, I think that was yeah. maybe a little bit in doubt. And I think there was kind of this assumption that the players who would get in on DP World Tour points might be lesser known or not accomplished, and and that seems to have worked itself out. So there will be some fresh faces for sure, but I, I don't think they're going to be ill-equipped to compete at Marco Simone. I, I think it should be an interesting match, and it the history definitely works against the American side. I mean, we haven't won in 30 years on European soil. So I, I assume that they're going to put up a strong fight. The Europeans will, and that it will be a difficult challenge for the Americans. The only thing perhaps working in their favor is that Marco Simone feels a lot more like an American golf club than one that maybe has previously hosted the Ryder cup. So that may work to the American advantage, but I still think it's a lot closer than we might've thought it would be even two or three months ago. Yeah, I mean, 
Europe, Rory, Ram, Hovland, McIntyre, Hatton, Fleetwood, you know, uh, and then they've got Fitzpatrick and Laurie, and of course, Sepp Straka, who had such a good open, uh, is being mentioned as well. Um, he's moved from 200 in the world to 25th in the world, which is an incredible leap for him. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Europe look strong. They do. They've played, I mean, it didn't seem that way in January when they had the event in Abu Dhabi to kind of precursor Ryder Cup. And I I was very concerned that we were setting ourselves up for another blowout. And I, I am no longer convinced that's going to, I'm convinced the other way. No. That this is going to be quite mm-hmm. close and very interesting. Mm-hmm. And the thing I'm most compelled by is what the Italian fans will be like because they, I, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect from them from a golf perspective. So I'm very curious to see how they embrace this and what that looks like. But um, the, the golf itself should be great. <laughs> well, if, if, if it's anything like the, the football or soccer uh, in, in Italy, uh, they'll, they'll light up a load of flares, have a massive flag <laughs> that they'll hold aloft <laughs> and sort of pass over their heads. <laughs> and uh, it'll be all sorts of chaos. Um, and I, I, I mean, certainly there's one thing guaranteed. Those dudes that turn up dressed in the sort of European blue and yellow and, and the sort of stars or whatever uh, will probably be there. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that the crowds are fair. Um, but this one, to me, he looks like fever pitch stuff. I, I just think this is too close to call. All of a sudden, um, you know, out of nowhere, it just looks a real heavyweight battle. You know, uh, Tyson, Muhammad Ali type stuff. It just looks that way. It's gone that way. Now, interestingly, uh, I was talking to Thomas Bjorn um, and he was doing a question answer session. I asked him about uh, Liv uh, and the fact that Europe can't choose the live players, but America can. Um, looks like maybe out of it, only Brooks Kepka possibly, um, unless I'm missing somebody, because I can't, you know, it's hard to remember who's in live sometimes these days. Uh, but, uh, you know, Brooks Kepka looks like certainly he's in, but outside of that, um, you know, I, I'm not sure you can, you can tell me, Ryan, but he was very interesting, Thomas Bjorn. He, he effectively said, well, the guys in Europe have resigned from the European DP tour. He says, that's it. You know, they've, they're out. And he held a pretty firm line on it, um, probably helped by the fact that the team is strong. And maybe some of the players may not have got onto the team. I forgot Justin Rose as well as another one that, that should possibly get onto the team. But um, w- what's your views? Uh, he, he, he kept, Thomas kept the standard. He kept the the line that these guys have resigned. They're no longer part of the European tour, so can't get selected for the Ryder Cup. Yet on the US, they can. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's an interesting difference because the PGA of America runs the Ryder Cup on the American side of things. PGA Tour doesn't have that say. I think if the PGA Tour did have that say, they, they would restrict only to PGA Tour members like they do with the President's Cup. It's, it's a bind for the PGA of America, too, because they have a good relationship with the PGA Tour. But I, I think that they recognize their own champion is going to be in their own event. 
there's no there's no way they're going to exclude the PGA of America championship winner from the PGA of America run by any old biggest event in golf. That's just not going to happen. Uh, other than that, I don't expect any live player to make it. Yeah, I know Taylor Gooch has won three times this year on live. No, but that is not translated whatsoever into the major championships, which leads you to believe that maybe winning on live is a completely different animal than playing major championship golf for better or for worse. But for the the European players that resigned their membership and uh, own the DP World Tour and moved to live, I don't know that many of them, if any of them, would have made the team otherwise. Um, Perhaps Sergio Garcia could have made a case, but I think Westwood and Poulter and Stenson and I mean, go down the line, name for me one of them that has showed up particularly well in the majors or really on live for that matter uh, in any kind of significant capacity. Mm. And I think that has led the live controversy has led people to kind of forget a lot of the frankly uh, attitude that was, was held by the European side after 2021 that, this was probably the last hurrah for many of those players we mentioned and that they probably wouldn't be on the team again. And Liv gave them an opportunity to kind of fire back and say, but maybe what if we did, what if we did qualify? But I, th I think it became pretty clear after whistling straights that that those set of stalwarts for the European side of the last 15, 20, 25 years have been passed by. And it was probably time to, to inject some new life into this and, we're going to get some of that. So I, I, I understand where Thomas Bjorn's yeah. coming from, from a, a policy standpoint, but I, I frankly don't think it would have made a difference had they been eligible at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. I think so too. Now, uh, uh, something interesting uh, as well happened at Hoylake, uh, and that was the presence of the Saudi Public Investment Fund met uh, the RNA chiefs. Um, all of a sudden, the language coming out of the RNA is different. They're now beginning to allude to a societal change on a global basis uh, and then listing football, cricket, Formula One and tennis uh, as being, you know, influenced in a positive way. This is this rhetoric is, is completely different, Ryan, that's beginning to emerge. And then there's rumoured that Jay Monaghan, uh, who's the commissioner of the PGA, uh, who, who's just back in office after an illness, uh, and it's good to see him back, but will be the chief executive, um, and uh, Al Rumanan as chairman, will be as chairman uh, of this new sort of conglomerate. So things are, are beginning to emerge. Ernie Els has gone into the press to say the players are so out of the loop, it's unbelievable, and uh, he, he's very um, negative towards how this is all being put together. Uh, what, what's your thoughts and what's your understanding, Ryan? I'm still very much against Saudi involvement in professional golf at this level. I, I don't think it's ever going to change for me. I'm not going to be okay with it ever. I'm going to have to deal with it, though, because it seems like there's, there's I guess, a couple of outcomes that could happen here, right? One is that the agreement goes through from the framework agreement to a final agreement as exactly as they originally intended. Whatever that looks like, whatever the details are being worked out, that they overcome their differences and come to something. I guess that's one outcome. The other outcome, I guess, is that nothing gets worked out. That 
the two sides, which have reportedly been fairly far apart on some some serious matters in the negotiation, can't overcome their differences. And they get to the end of the year when this framework agreement expires and they go back to the way things were, except they're not suing each other. Live exists, PJ Tour exists. That could absolutely happen. And then I guess the third outcome is somewhere in between, that there is something worked out between the negotiating parties and the PGA Tour presents it to its players through the policy board and its its board and it doesn't pass and it doesn't wind up happening. Then I guess there could be a situation where they extend the framework agreement and try to politically cajole people into accepting the arrangement and that could drag out for a while. But I feel like those are the only three outcomes. And I, I'm not exactly sure which one of those we're going to get. I've, I've heard from or seen interviews with a couple of the players who are on the PGA Tour board uh, as representatives of the players. They seem like they generally are trying to get to yes, although Patrick Cantlay seems like someone who's not interested in that. So I, I'm not exactly sure where all the players sit and certainly not sure where the policy board members independent of the players sit. Randall Stevenson, who's a, a longtime PGA Tour board member, was the former CEO of AT&T. He stepped away from the board recently because he didn't like what was happening. Uh, and I don't know if that indicates there's more support for his position or if he's just kind of getting out of the way for the other members of the board to vote yes on whatever they come up with. So I, I think still a lot of this is to be determined. But as far as Martin Slumbers and the RNA go, I think if there's been an embrace of the Saudis from the PGA Tour, then he sees the the clear runway to embrace the Saudis for the same reason. I mean, the, the RNA could use money. Uh, and I think they see that in the arms race in which they have been thrust into, not on their own accord or not of their own volition, around purses for the men's majors. And we've seen that arms race start to take shape in the women's majors too. Uh, that's not nothing to them mm. every year. So I, I understand why they had that. I'm sure they've had some discussions. I'm sure that will continue. But uh, I still never, I don't ever foresee myself in a position where I'm completely on board with this or frankly on board with it at all. But that that's out of my control. So at this point, it's just trying to figure out what what's going to be moving forward. And I still think a lot of that's up in the air. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, still um, lots happening, uh, and we just have to see how it unfolds. Uh, Ryan, uh, it's going to be major anyway. Whatever happens uh, in the end, um, Lee Westwood, we mentioned Lee briefly, uh, came out and said Rory, in his opinion, will win the Masters in April. Um, Lee on this show predicted John Ram and was absolutely delighted and he got it totally 100% right so he's gone early uh, about Rory and in a piece uh, this morning uh, that piece was criticising some of the coverage of Brian Harmon I have to say and he was hugely supportive of Brian uh, quite rightly so uh, but I thought that was interesting now in your model that you have created that gives you such accuracy that you've had um, is there anything that's made too far out, I think, of course, talk about the Masters, but have you anything from your model that maybe listeners should be watching for or a player that 
you know, uh, that, that maybe we should keep it. But I'll answer your question anyway. So I, I think the thing about the Masters is very interesting that while the Open has been very much a current form tournament over the last few years, the Masters is maybe even more so of a current form tournament. And that if you look over the, the trends of the last 15, 20 years, you kind of have a very specific window of player, uh, a set of players that can win because they have to gain on average about one and a half strokes from T to green per round in the calendar year leading into the Masters. And that really greatly limits the category of player who can qualify, to, who really has a good chance of winning. We don't see a lot of deviation from that. So what I will start to focus in on early next year is where we're at probably by the end of February. And we'll start to get a sense then of where players are and whether they're gaining strokes tee to green. Putting isn't necessarily the biggest thing uh, because the greens are so quick at Augusta National. So what we're really looking for is a good tee to green player. And we'll get a better sense of that a number of months from now. But I think thinking about Tom Kim, Rory McIlroy, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, guy, guys that gain a lot of strokes tee to green. They don't have to be great putters to win the Masters. You just have to be better than bad at, at Augusta to be able to contend well. So we'll get a better sense of that probably come February next year. But I, I completely understand where Lee's coming from about what he, liking what he's seen from Rory McIlroy. If you look at the last eight majors played, I mean, I know he's missed a cut, but generally speaking, he is the best performer in the major championships against par in the last eight played. So I, I, I see where he's coming from. I, I hope that he gets over. I, I would be a wonderful moment for the sport for McElroy to complete the career grand slam. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that uh, if you're following Rory, it's like a rock star, you know, um, Hoylick, it was, it was bedlam. It was bedlam around Rory. And, uh, it, you know, it was incredible to, to watch, um, I haven't watched Rory live for, for a while. Uh, and it was just everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted a piece of him. Everybody wanted him to get a birdie. Everybody, you know, and uh, it, it was just uh, an incredible thing. So it would be tremendous for the sport. Uh, I, I think a lot of people supporting him him there. But just with regards to, Ryan, you're, you're kind of, is there a player, your model, is there a player that might jump out of the pack Somebody that you've you're keeping an eye on that um, you know is bubbling below the surface. Another Brian Harmon, maybe, but someone that you think, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on Denny McCarthy because I'm biased toward him. But right, I would have said before this week. Now that he's probably on people's radars much more so is Seth Straka because he is particularly streaky. At least he has been over the course of his PGA yeah. Tour career where he plays well for one or two weeks and then plays terribly for seven to 10 weeks. And if he can yeah. evolve as a player, kind of like Victor Hovland has uh, going from a guy who plays really well in weak field events, to playing well everywhere, every time, any place, if Straka can be become a more consistent player, then I really love his game for Augusta national, but that consistency has to come. So we don't go through six or eight weeks where you go, well, he's made like $5 playing golf. And then one week he makes $2 million. It, it's really weird with Sepp Straka, but I, I think he's one of those guys who could take the leap and become 
a very good player if he can just become slightly more consistent. Okay, uh, brilliant, Ryan. Um, I, I think we've uh, we've we've gone through what uh, a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment. Um, now, GNN Radio is is something that you you've created. Uh, and it's based in Washington, and this show goes out on GNN Radio. Uh, and would you like to give a bit of background uh, on GNN, Ryan, and how it's performing? Sure. So uh, Golf News Net Radio launched as an extension of Golf News Net, which I, I own and created. And that started in October 2022. And our, our primary partner with that is iHeartRadio, which is one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, radio distributors in North America, if not the world. And we partnered up with them to create this 24-7 free-to-access golf talk station for, for anybody throughout their accessibility on their digital channels of the United States and Canada, I think parts of Mexico and Australia, some other places as well. And then for everybody else who can't access iHeart, we have TuneIn, which is a great resource for radio broadcasters around the world. And it's really grown nicely in this first year. I mean, we, like I said, we, we haven't hit the year mark yet. That's still four four months away, which is kind of hard to say, but the embrace of the station has been great. Uh, it's been really cool to see people following the station and becoming regular listeners and leaving comments for me and shooting me emails about uh, that. They're happy to have shows on and uh, really connect with golf in a little bit of a different way. Sirius XM here in, the, in North America does a really nice job with PGA tour radio. They're very much focused on professional golf and, and broadcasting that, we don't really have that focus. We try to kind of have as much focus on all kinds of different topics in golf, kind of like golf news net. And so very, very excited about that. And then hopefully here in the next month or so, uh, we'll be able to announce the start of golf news net streaming TV channel, uh, which would be a 24 seven streaming channel uh, on a variety of different platforms. So we're working all that out right now. Uh, we don't have a particular launch date exactly yet, but we're working on that. So hopefully here in the next 30 to 45 days, we'll have uh, some announcements about that, maybe even be able to go live uh, before we get to the Ryder Cup. So I'm very, very excited about that. And uh, my, my goal with this has always been to try to try to showcase golf in in all of its breadth. And there's so much that can interest people about the sport, whether you play it, whether you watch it, whether you're involved with it professionally, that, that – doesn't get or has not traditionally been covered pr pretty well. And my hope is with everything that I do to kind of offer a pretty big spotlight, not just a small one to, uh, to certain topics or certain people in the game. So hopefully we're accomplishing that and hopefully whatever we do next continues to accomplish that. Well, I mean, it's tremendous to see the growth uh, and, and obviously big plans as well, moving it forward. You know, and and uh, as Ryan has just eloquently uh, explained, uh, you know how, how you get access to it, um, and maybe go and check out if you're interested in golf podcasts. Uh, this has certainly been growing uh, really quite quickly, which is which is great news. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of very interesting topics, and uh, I think it's all captured under one roof, which is really important. So you don't need to scramble around and try and find you know golf podcasts. Uh, that are a bit random out there. This has got uh, it all under and, and scheduled. So uh, so I think that's great as well. Uh, and, and thanks to everybody that does listen uh, to View from the Lock and GNN Radio. It's, it is greatly appreciated. Uh, Ryan, you're a star, as always. 
uh, I appreciate your time uh, talking about Brian Harmon, trying to get us a bit of sort of background on him and sort of, sort of guy he is. Um, we're all very interested now that he's won uh, the Open, the 151st Open at Hoylake. Uh, and he did it in such style and panache. It was really very, very impressive. So, Ryan, thank you so much. And uh, I'm sure we will talk very soon. Bill, thank you so much for having me on.